Agile Academic listeners. I hope you're doing well. Uh, as I'm recording this, it's the first week of 2022. It's already been a little bumpy for me, but I'm holding on to hope for a better year for all of us. This particular episode is the second between episode that came out of my winter writing binge, so I hope you enjoy it. In my earlier between episode about vitality and flourishing, I mentioned values, but said I wasn't going to go into that subject. But as I thought about that, articulating our values and living by them is crucial to success and well-being and flourishing. So in this episode, I'm going to read you an excerpt of my new book, Unraveling Faculty Burnout, coming this year from Johns Hopkins University Press. This excerpt comes from chapter four, and it's on my burnout resilience pillar of purpose. And in this excerpt, I talk about values, external motivation, and some of the differences between thinking about higher ed as a calling versus as a job and what that looks like. Then after that, I read the excerpt, I'll offer some reflection questions that you can consider when thinking about your own values as we move into this new year. I'll be sure to link to the references that I mentioned in the transcript document, And that'll include a few values activities you can do after you listen. So on to the excerpt. Let's first consider and articulate values, which isn't an activity that many of us spend much time on, if any. I think about values a lot since my burnout experience. I've been rethinking and re-articulating those values almost methodically in different ways. But it's hard work when you do it so intentionally. Many of my values were formed long before graduate school competition, or the pressure of my first tenure-track job. These values were formed really in elementary school, where I, like many of the quote-unquote smart kids, was trained to see my value in the things faculty now lament our students overemphasize. Things like grades, leadership, number of extracurriculars, and other activities like service that round out a successful college application. During my burnout, I was often asked in therapy and other kind of group programs to complete a values-identifying exercise, which frustrated me to no end. They made me confront the fact that my values were associated with productivity, success, excellence, being the best, and achievement. If you'd like to take a similar assessment, simply do an internet search for values activity. As much as I wanted to be able to say things like integrity and happiness and community were my core values, that would have been a stretch, even a lie. There was so much of what I now identify as shame associated with that for me to be so externally motivated that I publicly mocked the exercise to not look deeply at myself and where those achievement-oriented values were really coming from. But I wouldn't be surprised to find that other academics feel the same way. It's trained into us even if it wasn't part of our own natural disposition pre-academy. On one hand, higher ed as a culture espouses the values of lifelong learning, discovery, contribution to a better world, and striving for excellence. They're all wrapped up in a view that the academy is a calling to change the world through research and teaching. I love these ideal values. In a sense, I gave myself completely over to them, to the cultural imperative that the vaunted halls of higher education only call a few of us, and that fewer still can belong successfully. For me and many faculty members I've spoken with, it was an overcommitment to the idea of being called that opened the door for our work to become all-encompassing, which sets us up for burnout. When you consider your job in higher ed a calling, no matter how great that job is, it's much easier to slowly give more and more of yourself as you buy into the competitive achievement orientation and culture that will continue to pull more from you in service of that calling. 
Without a check and balance system, success becomes bound up in higher ed's other values, productivity, achievement, overwork, and your ability to keep up with the expectation escalation and ladder climbing to that holy grail of tenure track positions that's demanded by the academic career trajectory. I interviewed Dr. Katie Linder, a coach who works with academics, and she argued that some people come to higher ed because they have a deep value of personal and professional growth or lifelong learning, and what they're finding in higher ed is not aligned with that. For many people, higher ed is a great fit for their personal values. But in graduate school, you also experience the breakdown of your own personal sense of what you're supposed to be doing. You need to get constant approval from your peers, from your blind reviewers, from your advisor, or from your department chair, and then whatever board has that approval over to promotion and tenure. There's always someone else who's deciding your value. So what does that do for your own decision making? Katie's summary reminds me that there is great irony in my choosing academia after I considered my time in industry such a failure. Success in academia requires constant approval-seeking, externalized motivations, and rejection, with so many decisions completely out of your hands, including article acceptances, book contracts, promotion and tenure, even landing a full-time position. So the move certainly wasn't into a culture with less stress, but it was a stress that I understood. When we depend on external validation, we see competition at every corner. Bethello and Relay say, we only look at those ahead of us, and of course, there is no shortage of more productive, better sighted, and more well-known scholars than ourselves. I deeply internalized competition and productivity as core values pre-burnout, partially because in the U.S. education system, we were trained to judge ourselves on doing well rather than living well, as Christina Hallett says. As Brené Brown says of her own perfectionism, I got sucked into proving that I could rather than stepping back and asking if I should, or even if I really wanted to. As I came out of burnout, I started to realize that I could grow into other values and re-energize my purpose in different ways. Nagoski and Nagoski argue that our culture treats you as if being productive is the most important measure of your worth, as if you were a consumable good but you're not here to be productive. You are here to enjoy, to engage with your larger something, to move through the world with confidence and joy. If I could define success and excellence for myself instead of looking for outside validation, I could finally revisit my purpose and how I make meaning of my life and work with a greater sense of who I am and who I want to be post-burnout. So there's a sneak peek of the book chapter on using your purpose to handle burnout. As I mentioned, the four pillars of burnout resilience I cover in the book are purpose, compassion, connection, and balance. And after years of having values associated with achievement, I can honestly say that these are currently the four values that help me make decisions about my life and work. Values change intentionally or just naturally over time. I worked hard to excavate what my actual values were rather than what higher ed told me they should be. It means a lot to know that I have mine now. It's actually comforting as I grow into the person I want to be rather than the one that higher ed made me. I mentioned in the excerpt that you can easily find a values test by just Googling words, values words, or values test. What you'll find are any number of lists of value words that you can comb through, circling the ones that are meaningful to you. I like Brené Brown's shorter version, 
as a place to start. And you can find longer lists really intimidating, I think, sometimes. So I'll link to Brown's version in the transcript. Once you have a list to use, I ask my coaching clients to do a couple of things. First, I ask them to go through the list and circle the words that are meaningful to them or those that just resonate. Then I ask them to put a star next to the words on the big list that are values higher ed holds. And then I might also ask them to underline words that they wish were their values. Having these multiple ways of looking at the values on the list helps you sort out what you truly value. You might do other passes for family values or some other meaningful pattern for you, whatever helps you think through the values. Once you have the words that resonate most with you, see if you can put them into categories or themes or groupings. These groups of value words often will bring about these core values to the surface. Here are some reflection questions to consider once you have that list of core values. What patterns do you see? and What do they mean to you? What surprises you about your list and why? What are you learning about yourself through this values activity? How are these values showing up in your life and work? Where would you like them to show up more? Hopefully working through these values exercises and exploring the reflection questions lead you to some self-knowledge that might inform your goals for the year. So that's all for this between episode. Be on the lookout for at least one more, probably more between episodes, between now and the next season of the Agile Academic, which is coming in the spring. As I mentioned in the previous episode, this season is titled Advocates. So be on the lookout for that, and I hope you enjoy it. As always, take care and stay well.